Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to CNN Town Halls and Debates, your direct source to the people shaping your world. It's a forum for you to get answers to the tough questions and better understand the issues that matter to you. We're bringing this episode to you uncut and unfiltered, straight from the national stage. And it all starts right here, right now, on CNN. And welcome, I'm Anderson Cooper. And I'm uh, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. This is our 23rd CNN Global Town Hall on the coronavirus. Only this time, the title is a hopeful one, the vaccines. As always, we're being seen around the world on CNN International and streamed on CNN.com. As we come to you tonight, two vaccines right now, one from Pfizer, the other from Moderna, appear to be on the cusp of FDA approval, which of course is only the beginning. It's gonna take a massive effort to produce and distribute, store and deliver doses to people. Yet according to President-elect Biden today, he is not satisfied with what he's seen of it. There is no detailed plan we've seen anyway, as to how you get the vaccine out of a container into an injection syringe into somebody's arm. And it's going to be very difficult for that to be done in this very expensive proposition. There's a lot more that has to be done. Well, just ahead tonight, we'll ask the nation's preeminent infectious disease expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci, about that. He's been tapped, as you know, to serve as a chief medical advisor in the Biden administration. And we're also going to ask Dr. Fauci about the National uh, Vaccine Advisory Committee's decision today to not recommend an emergency use authorization for a COVID-19 vaccine in children. And in addition, uh, your many questions for Dr. Fauci. Please tweet them to us with the hashtag CNN Town Hall. You can leave a comment on the CNN Facebook page as well. And a lot of you have sent them in video form, which we appreciate. You can see some of them up on the screen, and we'll get to as many of those as we can tonight as well. We'll be joined by a couple who took part in vaccine testing who will tell us about their experiences and the side effects one of them felt. In addition, we'll talk about the months ahead and how rough they're going to be, vaccines or no vaccines. Today, so far, the the third worst day ever for new cases, nearly 204,000 new infections and still climbing. The University of Washington Health Metrics team is now projecting more than a quarter million more lives lost between now and April. So there's a lot to get to tonight. First, Sanjay, this is the point in each of our town halls, we get a check from, uh, from you on, on where you think things stand. How, how do you see things right now? Well, you know, uh, Anderson, since this pandemic began, I've thought a lot about this country as if it were my own patient. Um, you know, I saw COVID-19 sort of start as this localized disease in just a few places around the country. Uh, but the country, um, the patient, ignored some basic treatment advice that could have been very effective. And as a result, the disease spread. And now that localized spread has spread throughout the entire body, um, this country, leaving no state really untouched. And the patient is more vulnerable than ever, and yet still in some ways unwilling to undergo the necessary treatment. So as you talk about, Anderson, there's the hope of a vaccine on the horizon. But I can tell you as a doctor, um, the medical community doesn't have the luxury of waiting. They are tired and they are overworked and they are stressed. And the patient 
the country needs help right now. The thing is that the treatment plan is not complicated. Masks, they're almost surgical in how quickly they can make a difference. The virus simply won't have anywhere to go. If people are masked up, the more people wear them, the more lives can be saved. It's pretty simple. We also know that 80% of the infections in this country are occurring in just a few locations. So we have to be particularly aggressive there. Not shutting down, just reducing maximum capacity in places like restaurants and gyms and bars. Those treatments alone could make a huge difference. You add in more testing, you add in contact tracing, and we could be on our way to good health even before a vaccine arrives. But the question is, the question has been, will my patient, this country, listen this time around? As you know, Anderson, um, more than half Americans now say they know someone personally who's been hop hospitalized or died of this disease. And just this week, more people died of COVID than died of heart disease in an average week. Heart disease, which is the leading cause of death in our country. So we got a big problem to your question, Anderson, but also a prescription to help. Yeah, when it comes to, to vaccine distribution, the devil is certainly in the details. And to get a glimpse of that, to get one of the more complicated parts of the chain, CNN aviation correspondent Pete Montine is at the airport for us. So, Pete, what kind of preparations? Hi, this is American Airlines. Are you seeing? Sorry, I didn't mean to jump the gun there, Anderson. Yeah, this is American Airlines cargo cold storage facility here in Philadelphia. Pharmaceuticals only, essentially one big refrigerator here, 25,000 square feet. You can see the cold air blowing in from the fans over there. It's about 40 degrees inside here. The idea is that this temperature will help preserve the specialized containers that for the vaccine that need to be super cold. The Moderna vaccine, negative four degrees Fahrenheit. The Pfizer vaccine, negative 100 degrees Fahrenheit. They would sit on the shelves in a place like this, but not for very long. Just a pit stop airline say, albeit a very critical one, on the road for getting the vaccine administered to you. Airlines say they will be the ones to have the vaccine in their possession the longest. It's, it's interesting, uh, Pete, I, I've heard American Airlines also doing these test flights uh, to make sure they're ready. I mean, medical supplies go via plane all the time. Is there something special about these test flights? Well, I just wanna show you one more way that airlines are keeping the vaccine cold while it's in transit, Sanjay. Out here on the floor is a specialized refrigerated battery powered shipping container. Hmm. You can set the temperature on this. I'm just gonna punch the screen here. 32 degrees Fahrenheit, alarms go off in this if the temperature is off by even a quarter of a degree. Airlines say they already have the infrastructure in place for a mission of a lifetime. American Airlines says it has a plan in place that once the vaccine is FDA approved, it can begin shipping it within 24 hours. <laughs> Hmm. Pete Montine, appreciate it. Thanks. Joining us now, Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. He's also soon to be uh, chief medical advisor in the incoming Biden administration. He's, of course, still a member of the White House Coronavirus Task Force. He was last in our CNN Global Town Hall back in July. Needless to say, we were very happy to have him join us tonight. So, Dr. Fauci, uh, you just saw a reporter going through some of the distribution logistics at, at the airports. President like Biden is saying, quote, there is no detailed plan from the Trump administration about uh, distributing a vaccine. Have you seen a plan? What, what's going on? Well, th there clearly is an organized approach that's uh, right from the military component of Operation Warp Speed, General Gus Perna, 
who's responsible for the actual transport, the planes, the trucks, the trains that take the material, in this case, the candidate vaccines from the storehouses, the warehouses where they are after they've been filled and finished to the local places of distribution, namely the state and the city local areas. Once it gets there, Anderson, it is up to the state and local authorities in their individual way to make the decisions about the distribution as well as the logistics of it. So it really is going to be at the level of the state. So I think that's what is meant by not having a broader global in the sense of the whole country plan, but the individual states and localities will make their decisions and to give the distribution the way they normally would distribute, something like influenza vaccine. So that's really the way it's going to be, very much locally mandated for the actual distribution from the bottle into the arm of a person, as opposed to transportation to the particular site. Uh, Dr. Fauci, good, good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Um, I wonder if you could give us a picture of what it's going to look like. I mean, wh where will most of the vaccines actually be administered, do you think, uh, through doctor's offices, hospitals, CVS and Walgreens type locations? Yeah, you know, Sanjay, it's going to be all of the above. So it's going to be CVS, Walgreens, doctor's offices, clinics and hospitals. I know that because they're already been shipped, ready for distribution. And, you know, like you would do, Sanjay, I've made a couple of calls around right here where I live in Washington. And already we know there are some hospitals, some clinics that already have material that has been shipped to them. So the answer to your question, Sanjay, I think is going to be all of the above. So when you said hospitals, some hospitals already have it, that means... I mean, when when do they get the go ahead to start, uh, you know, inoculating people? Yeah, as soon as the EUA is officially administered the emergency use by the FDA, lit yeah, yeah, right, the emergency use authorization, essentially immediately after that, it likely will be a day or at the most a couple of days. But it is essentially right from the time that you get the official authorization by the emergency use authorization, what we refer to as an EUA. You recently apologized for criticism of the, the UK speedy authorization of the Pfizer vaccine. Can you just talk about your initial concerns about that and the speed at, at which this is happening? Well, you know, we here in the United States, the Food and Drug Administration, no doubt, really is the gold standard of really careful scrutiny of all of the data, all the minutia of the data of the clinical trials. That's just the way our FDA works. Some may say it's a bit too careful, a bit too slow, but it really isn't. It, it really makes very much the front burner safety and absolute certainty of efficacy. Uh, other regulatory agencies in Europe and the UK may do it a little bit differently. You know, not necessarily better or worse, but just a little bit differently. We do it in a way that may seem to be very careful and very, very slow, but it really isn't. The career scientists at the FDA, they know what they're doing. They do this for a living. They do it all the time. They're doing it as quickly as they possibly can, but for sure it's going to be done very carefully and with a great deal of scrutiny for the data. Um, Dr. Fauci, last hour, uh, Jason Carroll had this uh, great piece about vaccine hesitancy. 
a topic you know well, uh, particularly among black and brown uh, communities. You know that th these communities have been disproportionately hit by this virus, and they have higher rates of vaccine hesitancy as well. This seems like a major issue to address. And I'm, th I'm just wondering, as you're going to be part of the Biden team now, what, what tangible steps will you take to sort of build that trust? Yeah, w w well, we will be taking steps, Sanjay, and we are currently taking those steps. And that is by really rather, um, I would say, active community outreach, which we've already done. Uh, we do it by PSAs. We do it by engaging through our community groups that are associated with our clinical trial apparatus. And we do it by engaging leaders in the community. There already is a plan to get people who are respected by the community, athletes, uh, faith-based organizations, uh, personalities, celebrities to go out there and get people to be vaccinated. You know, it would be a really a terrible shame if we have the African-American and Latinx community, who you're absolutely correct, are disproportionately suffering more from this outbreak if they did not take a vaccine, which we know to be extraordinarily efficacious in preventing clinical COVID-19 disease. It would be paradoxical and very, very much of a shame. So we really have a responsibility to very actively get out there and get the African-American community to appreciate that everything that has been done with these vaccines has been transparent and independent. And although it's understandable, given the history of how African-Americans have been treated by the medical community in this country over the years, historically, it's something that we certainly are not proud of. We've got to turn that around because we don't want to have the people who need it the most not have it because of hesitancy to get vaccinated. That would be a terrible shame. We spoke to Dr. Chris Murray with the IHME last hour. Their latest model projects almost 539,000 U.S. COVID deaths by April. CDC's Director Redfield also warned that the next three months will be, quote, the most difficult time in the public health history of this nation. How bad do you think it, it, it's going to get? You know, Anderson, it could get as bad as you just heard the numbers of the model predicting. And the reason for that is we have a number of conflating events occurring that are going to essentially almost synergize in making things problematic. First of all, we have the surge that we already know has gone on even before the Thanksgiving holiday, that very steep inflection of cases that has led to the record numbers that you and Sanjay just mentioned. That's the first thing. Secondly, you have the Thanksgiving uh, holiday, and we have not yet seen the full effect of a potential surge upon a surge of what happened last week, because the event usually is followed by two to three weeks later, you see the increase in cases. The travel associated with Thanksgiving, the congregating at family and social gatherings with people indoors, sometimes without masks. So that may peak two to three weeks from now, which puts it right at the cusp before the Christmas holiday, where you're going to have more travel and more congregating in a way that's natural and understandable, families and friends getting together. So we're really very concerned if you take the Thanksgiving surge, the Christmas surge, by the time you get to the end of December and the beginning of the January, we very well could see the numbers that you just mentioned 
about the predictions of what these surges may mean. But we can do something about it. I think that's the important point. We give the numbers, we talk about how problematic it can be, but in the same breath, we've got to say, if we as a country uniformly do the things that we know can mitigate against spread, the simple things, the universal wearing of masks, the keeping of distance, the avoiding crowds in congregate settings, particularly indoors, wearing your masks at all time, and washing your hands as frequently as you possibly can. Those simple things alone, despite the enormity of the problem, can make a difference because it has been proven that it does make a difference. So we all need to pull together to do that because, as I've said so many times, help is on the way. Vaccines are imminent. We'll be starting to get vaccine doses in people's arms by the middle and end of December, and then more in January, more in February, and as we get into the late winter and early spring, a lot more. So we need to hang in there and do that while we're waiting to get the vaccine to as many people as possible. You know, Dr. Rauch, I'm curious about the, the healthcare systems overall in the interim. I, mean, I, I know you talk to lots of clinicians around the country, I do as well. Where, where do you think things stand? Can the healthcare systems and the hospitals handle this surge? And, and would you encourage people to do things like postpone elective procedures and things like that at this point? You know, Sanjay, we're almost there. I hate to say it. We're really in some areas, not all. Some areas are fine. They got a lot of backup. They're in good shape. But, you know, I get on the phone to my colleagues just most recently in California, in L.A., where their system is really strained. And as you probably know from the news yesterday, there are some situations where they'll be doing temporary lockdowns because they can't strain the healthcare system anymore. The unimaginable thing that no one wants to see happen, that when you have such a strain on the beds and on the personnel, the healthcare personnel, that you're gonna deprive people from the kind of care that they need, be it an intensive care bed or an experienced intensive carist to take care of them. We don't wanna go there. And if it requires doing more drastic things or draconian things, like maybe some temporary shutdowns in some areas, I think some of the areas of the country are thinking of that. I know as a fact that in California, in some places in California, they are thinking about that. Uh, I want to get to some viewer questions. The first one is a video question. Let's take a look. My name is Dr. Kevin James, a retired Army orthopedic surgeon. My first question is about the time frame it takes to develop the desired immune response. All of the commentary thus far is about the sequence of getting the vaccine and the number of doses required. No one, to include the manufacturers, has shared with the public how long after the vaccination does the body develop the desired immune response. With most vaccines, it takes approximately two weeks. The second question is, during the trials, did anyone develop symptoms of the virus between the first and second doses while the immune system was ramping up? Additionally, did anyone develop symptoms during the two-week period after the last dose? This information is critical, and the public must be educated in that the immune response is not instantaneous. All personnel administering the vaccine should be required to pass this information to each person they vaccinate. Thank you, and stay safe. Dr. Fauci? <laughs> 
Okay, so both of the vaccines that we're talking about, the Moderna vaccine and the Pfizer vaccine, are what's called a prime boost. One, one injection followed in four weeks by another injection, 28 days. So what you have is you get some degree, not optimal, but some degree of immunity a couple of weeks after the first dose. That's not optimal. After the second dose, you get optimal immunity anywhere from seven to 10 days after the second dose. When you look at the clinical trial, the, uh, the data and the efficacy was so high, 94 to 95%, that there were very, very few people who got vaccinated who actually did get infected and did get symptoms. Obviously, the ones who did not get the vaccine would get symptoms the normal five, six days after they were infected. But if an individual fails the vaccine, you would expect them to get symptoms within the same time frame as if they were not vaccinated, maybe a couple of days later, delayed because of a partial immune response. All that data is available, and those kinds of things are made known to individuals when they prepare them for the vaccine and when they take an informed consent in the trial. Once a vaccine is approved, there is a list of all the potential side effects of the vaccine itself, but not the information that the person just mentioned about if you happen to get infected, when you would start to get symptoms. That's very well known. The incubation period is two to 14 days with a median of about five days. You know, you can get immunity, as you're talking about, Dr. Fauci, by getting the infection or getting the vaccine. Uh, is the expectation that people who receive the vaccine will have, have longer or stronger immunity versus people who, who got that immunity via infection? Sanjay, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, it really is, because that's what we used as the, the parameter of how potent the immune response is. If you look at the vaccine, the level and quality of neutralizing antibodies was comparable to and even better than what you see in convalescent plasma hmm. of people who actually were infected and developed an immune response. It's at least as good as the response associated with natural infection. We got another uh, text question coming in. Uh, this one is from Tara. Uh, who writes, will the public have a choice in which vaccine they receive, Dr. Fauci? Well, what's going to happen in practicality, uh, Sanjay, is that there will be shipments of vaccine according to contractual arrangements to different pharmacies, be it CVS or Walgreens or whatever hospital clinic or private practice doctor's office. And it is unlikely that they're gonna get both. They're likely gonna get one or the other. Hmm. But since these vaccines are almost identical, I don't think it makes any difference. If you were to ask me, would I rather have one versus the other? They're both RNA, mRNA vaccines, and they both have 94 to 95% efficacy, and they both have almost 100% efficacy against serious disease. So I don't think it really makes any difference in the general public should not really worry about which of those they get. It depends on who the supplier is in the particular facility that you went to get vaccinated at. 
what's the update on the Johnson John, Johnson vaccine? Because it, it's different in that it requires only one shot, and which would obviously make a big difference in terms of you know the ease of getting it. Yeah, what it is, it, it's a different what we call a vaccine platform. The Moderna and the Pfizer are what's called an mRNA or a messenger RNA vaccine. The one that is the J&J or Janssen is an adenovirus, which is an, a typical human virus in which the gene of that particular spike protein, which is the protein that you want the body to make an immune response against, that is inserted into that vector. You inject it into an individual. The protein is expressed. It's a single dose, and you start getting an immune response 10 to 14 days after that single dose. There's some advantages to that. It's less of a cold chain requirement, and it's a single dose, which means one dose, literally 10 or 14 days later, you start to get a response. You ask what the status of it is. The clinical trial is still on. The data have not been looked at in the sense of any meaningful changes by the Data and Safety Monitoring Board. But I think within a reasonable period of time, you'll start to get a look at the data very similar to what was done with the Moderna and the Pfizer trial. Now, now Public Health England, Dr. Fauci, has said that if it's not possible to give someone two doses of the same vaccine, it is possible, they say, to interchange vaccines then. Uh, what do you think of that? You think it's reasonable? You know, that's not preferable, Sanjay. Um, for example, if you have a prime of a mRNA, you really want to have a boost of an mRNA. If you get a prime of an mRNA and a boost with an adeno uh, a candidate, that may be okay, but we didn't do the clinical trials to show that that's effective. So it isn't as if it's impossible, but there's no scientific data to tell you how good that prime with one and boost with another. So you're actually going in uncharted waters. You don't really know what the responses could be. It's conceivable, it would be fine, but I don't think it would be as good as the boost being identical to the prime. I, I have uh, no doubt that you, you would get the vaccine, right, Dr. Fauci, when it was available to you. Um, you've told me that. I don't know if you know this, though. Uh, the New York Times has this interactive that'll give you an idea of where you are in line. So we actually looked you up. Um, and uh, it says that you're pretty far up there, but there's about 321,000 healthcare workers in front of you, Dr. Fauci, which kind of surprised me. I thought you would be, you would be first in line there. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but, but it'll be well, pretty early. I, I, I don't know whether they... <laughs> I don't know whether they, they, they plugged me in correctly because A, I'm a health care provider, and B, I'm, I'm elderly. The elderly are not in the 1A, as you well know. The 1A is health care providers and people in, uh, in nursing facilities. So I would be in one of those categories, but certainly not the others, at least not to my knowledge. But I mean, the question, you know, every viewer who's watching this wants, would like to know where they kind of fall in this, where do you think just generally for a general person who, uh, you know, is a citizen in this country who's, who's watching um, and, and waiting, when do you think most people who are not on the front line, healthcare workers or, uh, you know, uh, folks handing out groceries in stores, interacting with a lot of people, when do you think the average person can get it? Yeah, I mean, if you're talking, uh, Anderson, about essentially a healthy 
non-elderly person with no recognizable underlying conditions. Likely start getting it in, trickling in, end of March, early April. Once you get into April, probably full blast with those individuals. Mm. That's the reason why what we would really like to see is that once you get into the you know, open season in the sense of anybody can get it, that we really have a full court press on getting people vaccinated because the quicker you get the overwhelming majority of the country vaccinated, the quicker you're gonna have that umbrella of herd immunity, which would be so, so important in bringing the level of that virus way, way down to below the threatening level. The sooner we get there, the better we are. You know, we, we have one of the two ingredients of the one-two punch that could knock out a pandemic. One, we have a very, very efficacious vaccine. As I told you guys before, I would not have expected it would be this efficacious. 94 to 95% is as good as you get. It's almost as good as the gold standard, which is measles, hmm. which is about 98%. So that's the first ingredient. The second ingredient is a very, very high uptake of the vaccine. And that's why it's our job to get out there and explain to people all of the things that they have skepticism about. A, was it too fast? No, because we had technological advances that allowed us to do things in weeks to months that it would have normally taken several years. That didn't compromise any safety. It didn't compromise any scientific integrity. We invested an extraordinary amount of money to get the doses ready as soon as the vaccine was ready to be administered. And then the decision, which we're going through right now, literally as we speak, the decision of whether or not a vaccine is safe and effective, the public has to know it's not made by the administration, it's not made by the company, it's made by an independent data safety monitoring board who look at the data, scrutinize it, then they allow the company to see it. The company gives it to the FDA to apply for this EUA, this emergency use authorization. And then, even then, yet again, another independent advisory committee, the advisory committee that the FDA classically uses to advise them as to whether or not to grant an EUA. And then when it does, then you start distributing. So it's both independent and it's transparent. And you know, Sanjay, you and I will be able to look at the actual data because it's all gonna be published in a peer review journal. So there's nothing shady about that. It's all open and transparent. Uh, another viewer sent in this video, let's take a look. Hello, I'm Ed Sullivan, I'm 32 years old, and like so many other young people, I've grown tired of the COVID restrictions, even though I understand their necessity. It has been said that even after the vaccine becomes widely available, some of these restrictions may need to remain in place. What, if any, restrictions will need to remain in place, and will they apply to the people who have been vaccinated? Hmm. Hmm. Dr. Fauci? Well... Yeah, well, the answer to that is there will be. I don't think we're going to soon see a complete abandonment. Now, we've got to be careful of what the caller meant by restrictions. If, if what he's talking about is wearing a mask, watching your distance, staying away from crowds to the extent possible, doing things outdoors more than indoors, we're going to be suggesting that no matter what. Because 
remember, not everybody is going to be vaccinated at the same time. So let's say uh, you, Anderson or Sanjay, got vaccinated in January or February. There may be a half the country that still has not been vaccinated, which means there's a lot of virus floating around there. And even if you are vaccinated, you may be protected against getting sick, but you may not necessarily be protected against getting infection. So you may have some virus in your nasal pharynx. It wouldn't bother you, and maybe it wouldn't even infect anybody else, but it could be there. That's the reason why you can't abandon all public health measures. You can gradually attenuate them. The more and more people that get vaccinated, the less and less the threat in society is until you get to the point where if you have the overwhelming majority of people vaccinated and you have a good umbrella of herd immunity, then I think you could get back to as close to normal as you would really want. But that's not going to be immediately. Dr. Fauci, uh, April in North Carolina sent in another video. We need our children to go back to school safely. When will a vaccine be readily available for kids? And, and Dr. Fauci, yeah, I'm sure you heard the news okay. today that the, uh, the National Vaccine Advisory Committee voted against recommending an EUA for COVID-19 vaccine in children. You probably heard that. We know it's being tested, but yeah, right. I'm just curious what you think of her, her question. Yeah, yeah, well, first of all, we should be trying as best as we possibly can right now to get the children back to school or keep them in school, if possible, obviously. Not every one size fits all, but we should try to get the children back to school. But the gist of the, of the call is, question is, when can we get them back to school with the protection of a vaccine so we know it's really safe? You know, I am hoping, and I think it's not an unreasonable hope, that by the time we get to the fall term, we can do that with a good degree of impunity. Regarding the question of the EUA for children, we've got to remember that this is a population of absolutely normal people. And whenever you give any intervention, safety looms large. That's a very important thing. Hmm. It's particularly important for vulnerable populations, which children are. So the standard way has been done. It's not particular for COVID-19. It's with any new vaccine, is that you show that it's safe and effective in a population of normal adults. And then you then do a phase 1A or a phase 2A trial in children. And you do that a couple of months into the proof that you have a safe and effective vaccine for adults. You don't need a 30 or 40,000 person trial. You could do it with a couple of thousand children. You want to show A, that it's safe, and B, that it induces a kind of response that's comparable to the same response that you know is protective in the adults. Once you show that, you can do what's called a bridging study. You can bridge the data of safety and immunogenicity from your phase one and two A trial to the adult trial and then make the decision that you can give it to the children and it almost certainly will be effective after you've proven that it's safe. Mm -hmm. Just remember, safety is really important when it comes to children. Yeah. Um, Yvonne in Maryland sent in this video. Let's take a look. Will the vaccine only prevent me from getting sick 
or will it also prevent me from getting infected and spreading the virus to vulnerable members of my family? If the vaccine only protects me from getting sick, but I could still be a carrier and bring the virus home with me, then I have to stay isolated anyway to protect a family member who cannot be vaccinated. What about that, Dr. Patrick? Well, I think what the caller did was answer a question that someone just did a few minutes ago, which is the reason why that even though we get vaccinated, you still want to, until the level of virus in community is so low, you want to do some things like wearing a mask. But let's get to specifically what she's asking. The answer is that we know that the vaccine is 95 percent effective in preventing you from getting sick. We don't know yet. It could be, I hope it is, but we don't know if it's protecting you against infection. If it doesn't protect you against infection, it's likely that the degree of immunity that you have is gonna diminish the level of virus in your nasopharynx. And even though you might be infected, it is likely, not proven yet, but likely that it would be very less likely that you are gonna transmit it. So you could get infected, but the level of virus is so low in you, A, you don't get sick, and B, you have a very low likelihood you're gonna spread it to other people. Although we don't have that answer now, as we get more and more information from the trials, we will get that answer for you. Dr. Anthony Fauci, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Dr. Fauci. My, my pleasure, good to be with you guys. Ahead, Sanjay and Dr. Alina Wen will answer more of your questions. Plus, 20 million Americans could get vaccinated by years end. What makes these vaccines more than just a way to stop the spread? We'll take a look at that. We'll also, talk to a married couple. We'll take us through their experience volunteering for the vaccine trials. They don't know if either of them got the real thing or placebo. But what happened next may tell us a lot. Ahead. After the break, more from CNN town halls and debates. Stay tuned. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. With 
Dr. Anthony Fauci just joined our CNN Global Town Hall, said officials will start to get vaccines in people's arms by the middle and end of this month. The nation is now in its most grim, most dire moment of the coronavirus tragedy. But as Dr. Fauci's words remind us, we are also remarkably just weeks away in all likelihood from the start, what will be a turning point that we are all so desperate to see. Yeah, in, in a moment, you're going to meet a couple who took part in the Moderna vaccine trial, and they may give us some important new insight into what some of the rest of us can soon expect. When it comes to these vaccines, it's not just about stopping COVID. Uh, what we're seeing now is an entirely new way of thinking about the power of vaccines. Since the first vaccine for smallpox in 1796, vaccines have all relied on the same basic concept. Give a little piece of the virus, also known as antigen to someone, not enough to make them sick. And then their body would be taught to make antibodies to it. Those are proteins that neutralize the virus if that virus ever tried to invade again. That's what makes you immune. But what if the body could be taught to do the whole thing? Not just make antibodies, but to make the antigen as well. To essentially become its own vaccine-making machine. It's exactly why Pfizer and Moderna have focused on this tiny strand of genetic material that our cells use all the time. It's known as mRNA. It stands for messenger RNA. It carries the instructions for cells to make whatever protein you want. So with the simple genetic sequence, we can then program the body to make an antigen. The vaccine is not virus at all. It is essentially just genetic code for a portion of the virus. This portion, it's called the spike protein. Why the spike protein? Because it's the key the virus uses to enter the human cell. But if you prompt your body to make antibodies to the spike protein, the virus is then blocked from infecting the cell. So putting it all together, once the vaccine made up of genetic code is administered through a shot in the arm, our own cells start making that spike protein over and over again. Now remember, you're just making a part of the virus so you can't get infected from the vaccine. Within days after that, the body reacts and starts churning out the antibodies. Plug and play. And we want to welcome the couple we mentioned who went through the Moderna vaccine trials. With us uh, from Dallas, uh, Susan Froelich and her husband, Dr. Thomas Froelich. Uh, thank you both for joining us. Susan, you're welcome. We're glad to be here. Thank uh, you for having us. Yeah, glad you're here. So, Susan, can you just walk us through what the process was like for you? And, and, and before you describe your experience with the side effects, I, I know you're worried you might deter people from getting the vaccine. But at the same time, it is important to talk about what it felt like. Okay. Um, well, the first uh, shot that we got was on uh, August 21st, and I really just had a sore arm and didn't notice anything different. But we went back on September 18th to get the booster, and about 12 hours after I got the booster, um, it was 2.30 in the morning, and I woke up with a horrible stomach ache and headache, and it was like I was ha at the beginning stages of a bad um, flu, vac flu. Mm -hmm. and so um, I 
I didn't have anything to take for it at the time, so I was in a lot of pain until about four hours later when my husband woke up and I had him go get me some naproxen. And once I took the naproxen, I took 440 milligrams of it, then all those symptoms went away. But um, it was like every part of my body was hurting for about four hours. Mm -hmm. If I'd had naproxen right away, I think those symptoms would have abated more quickly. but, um, so, uh, you know, my muscles hurt, my joints hurt, my bones hurt, my jaw hurt, but it was for such a short time. Mm. And I told Tom, I said, either I got the real vaccine or I'm highly suggestible. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm, I'm curious, uh, Dr. Frall, I'm glad you're feeling better, Susan, and that the, the anti-inflammatories you. helped you. But I'm curious, uh, doc, Dr. Froelich, because you're a husband, but also a doctor, how, how worried were you then when you saw Susan start to feel sick? Did it concern you or did, was it sort of what you expected? Well, it's kind of what I expected. I mean, what I recognized is that the symptoms she was having were really the signs of a big release of interferon, like happens when we give people interferon in cancer treatment or like happens when you get the flu. And that was my interpretation of what was going on, was that this was a flood of interferon into her system and other transmitters of the immune system. And so I wasn't terribly worried. Um, I felt bad that she felt so bad for a while, but then it resolved fairly quickly uh, once she took the, a couple of the leave. So uh, really, it, was, it wasn't that bad. But I, I kind of recognized what was going on for my many years of being an oncologist. And Tom was in the same study that I was, so we figured he got the placebo because he didn't have any of those symptoms, side effects. Yeah, Yeah. so you're pretty sure of that, Dr. Froelich, that you you got the placebo? I mean, it's it's a blinded study, so you really don't know, but you you, you really had no symptoms? Well, we, yes, I did not have any symptoms, so I was pretty certain because most of the time when I've gotten vaccines, like I've had the shingles vaccine, I've had many flu vaccines, and I will usually get a response, not as severe as Susan's, but after I get a vaccine. So for example, the, shing- the new shingles vaccine, Shingrix is a two dose vaccine. And after the second one, I felt like that for uh, about a day and then it resolved. And I recognized what those symptoms were. So, you know, I've had, so when I didn't have any reaction to that uh, either injection, I figured I must've gotten the placebo. And Susan, just, uh, you know, for people out there who, who, list, who heard your, your story, what you went through, knowing what you went through personally in terms of how it felt for those four hours, would you do it again? I mean, would you, if you hadn't had the vaccine already, absolutely, would you take the vaccine? Absolutely, hands down. And if it becomes necessary for me to get this once a year, you can bet I'm going to be the first one in line to get it again. You know, I so don't it wasn't, it wasn't so virus. terrible. It wasn't so terrible that... Mm. You're, you're like, oh, I'll never do it again. I'm not going to do it every year. Oh, heavens no. We, we need to have everybody out getting this vaccine. It is so much better than getting the disease. And we've had several friends now and relatives who've come down with COVID, and I don't want to go through that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Uh, half the country now knows someone who's either hospitalized who have died from this. I mean, Dr. Froelich, you have a long history in your career as as a doctor, obviously, but also participating in these trials, getting others to volunteer for trials. I wonder if you could just talk about why this one in particular was so important and and also 
how you motivate people to, to take the vaccine and be a part of all this. Well, I've talked to a lot of my patients and, you know, taking care of cancer patients for over 40 years, we've, I've had a lot of discussions about whether or not they should get vaccinated. And with live virus vaccines, we always recommend that they don't get vaccinated. With this vaccine, which is an mRNA vaccine, uh, it's completely safe. They cannot get any infection from it. And I encourage, you know, my patients, I encourage them to get the flu vaccine, regardless of what kind of response I know that I think they will have, because I know that getting their immune system to fight off intercurrent infection while they're getting cancer treatment is extremely valuable. And knowing that this is a, a vaccine that can't possibly give them an infection, I will strongly encourage them to get it. And I've already talked to people about our experience and, and they've asked, should they get the vaccine? I said, absolutely, when it becomes available and we'll help figure out how to get it for you. Hmm. Uh, Susan, but, but, yeah, go ahead. Um, we have kind of a surprise you might not know. I don't know if you know or not. We know whether we got the vaccine or not because we entered a second trial up at uh, Mount Sinai in New York City. And, and so you, what happened? <laughs> Well, they, so that trial was basically an antibody trial. All we Got had it. to do was send our blood to them, and they have a big virology lab at Mount Sinai, and they, had, they were looking for the antibodies. They knew we had been in the Moderna trial, so they were specifically looking to see whether we had antibodies that would have been induced by the mRNA, and we know that Susan does have those antibodies, and I don't. Okay, so excellent. So that confirmed our suspicion. And, and I not only have those antibodies... They spun my blood serum down 2,880 times, wow. and they still found antibodies. Wow. So I'm really protected. Well, send some my way. I'll take them. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sharing. Uh, that's all right. Uh, well, Susan and, and, and Dr. Froelich, thank you so much for, for talking to us, but also just for going through this. I mean, yeah. you know, it, a lot of people are scared of this kind of thing, and it helps people know other people have gone through it. Uh, I feel better knowing uh, your experiences, and I certainly would, would take it as soon as I could get it. Um, I wish you the best. Thank you so much. Thank well, you. Well, thank you for having us on. And I just really wanted to be able to convince people that what you go through is, is certainly not terrible, and it's way better than getting the, the virus, particularly if you're elderly or have a, 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 a comorbid condition that makes you at high risk for getting yeah. seriously ill. I mean, the worst thing is to end up on a ventilator yeah. Um, yeah. Um, in the ICU. Appreciate it. So thank you so much. Wish you the best. Next. Thank, thank you. We'll back with your questions. We've got a lot of great questions. They're all important. So we'll get Sanjay to answer those along with Dr. Lena Wen when our coronavirus global town hall. The vaccines continues. After the break, more from CNN town halls and debates. Stay tuned. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts.
Welcome back to our coronavirus global town hall, the vaccines. I love that couple, Sanjay. It's so nice. <laughs> I love so that cute. the people like volunteer for, you know, uh, clinical trials. I mean, it, it helps everybody. You know? Did it together. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's, a, awesome. that's a close couple. Yeah. <laughs> Um, as a reminder, at the bottom of your screen, you'll see our social media scroll that shows the questions people are asking. You can tweet us your questions with the hashtag CNN Town Hall. You can also leave a comment on the CNN Facebook page. Joining Sanjay and me to help answer questions, well, not me, I'm not going to answer. <laughs> no, I'm not going to be any help, uh, is former Baltimore Health Commissioner Dr. Lena Wen, a visiting professor at George Washington University. Um, so I, I want to get to as many viewer questions as possible. Sanjay, I want to start with you. This question from Laura, who asks, if you've had coronavirus or believe you've had it, should you still get a vaccine? Yeah, I think the short answer here is, is yes. I mean, you do get immunity uh, to some degree after natural infection. But we just talked to Dr. Fauci about this. And I think uh, one of the things that he, he said and others have said is that with the vaccine, we don't know for certain yet because it's two shots with these mRNA vaccines, a prime and a boost. The hope, the thought is that the, the immunity that you get from the vaccine will be longer lasting and maybe even stronger. So the answer, yes. Uh, Dr. Wen, this next question comes from Kerry. Let's listen. I'm still breastfeeding my youngest. I'm completely pro-vaccine, but I'm concerned about a lack of testing and lactating mothers. No one in my family is at an increased COVID risk, so I don't know if I should wait to get vaccinated until I wean her next summer. Dr. Wen? So Carrie is right that currently there aren't studies being done on breastfeeding individuals. And so this becomes very tricky because we know that there are certain medications that are excreted through breast milk. We really have no idea whether there's any impact of this vaccine on breastfeeding. And so we need more information. So I would say that while that information is coming in, don't get the vaccine for now and keep up with all these other measures that protect you. Mask wearing, physical distancing, not uh, not being part of indoor gatherings. Dr. Wen, this question is from Susan, who asks, I'm an RN and I plan to get the vaccine, but I'm also trying to get pregnant. It is my understanding that the vaccine has not been studied on pregnant women. If I get pregnant, is it safe to take the vaccine? So Susan is right as well that currently (coughs) clinical trials are not being done on pregnant women either. And so this, again, becomes very tricky because on the one hand, you don't want to be doing clinical trials on pregnant women. But on the other hand, you also don't want to be excluding pregnant people from the benefits of this vaccine, especially since there are many pregnant women who are essential workers, healthcare workers, um, and also pregnant women tend to have more severe effects because of coronavirus. So the trials currently don't include pregnant women. However, when you have tens of thousands of people enrolled in a trial, some people could become pregnant. And so I think that we will get some more information in time to come. And one thing that Susan could consider is because she probably will be in the first group of people who are eligible to get the vaccine. Could she hold off on getting pregnant and get the two doses of the vaccine and then work to start her family then? Hmm. And Dr. Wynne, what about, I mean, uh, for men, is there any concern about infertility? I mean, is there any data on that? For the vaccine, no, um, there's no data, but also one would not expect there's no biological reason why the vaccine would have an impact on male fertility. Interestingly, though, there are some preliminary studies that show that the coronavirus may impact the male reproductive system, hmm. which is also not surprising considering coronavirus impacts so many different mm-hmm. body systems. Sanjay, this next question was sent in by Mark. Let's listen. Assuming you could get a hold of them, is there any advantage to or danger from taking more than one vaccine? 
especially since the different vaccines work differently and the Moderna vaccine is a new and different type of vaccine. Sanjay? What's interesting, I mean, I, you, you can't really um, overdose, if you will, on vaccines, uh, but obviously the issue is that there is a pretty significant shortage of vaccines. So uh, you take, take the vaccine that you can get, and in the beginning, there may not be a lot of choice given just the, the, uh, the high demand and, and low supply, but ultimately there may be you know, uh, more directed vaccines based on your, your medical history and things like that, maybe in the next year or two years from now. Dr. Wen, Ricky asks, if I receive a vaccine in a foreign country, say New Zealand or England, will it be effective against the virus and its mutations here in the U.S., or will additional vaccinations be necessary? Well, at some point, I do hope that we'll get many different types of vaccines, and it may be that certain countries have more of one type of vaccine than another. There's no reason for us to believe that there's any kind of geographic variation when it comes to one vaccine being effective in one part of the country or other. But I agree with what Sanjay said, that it may turn out that one vaccine is more effective in older individuals or children or people with cancer or other conditions, and that remains to be seen. Yeah, and um, Lena, I don't know if you've, you've done this New York Times interactive where you can actually see where you would end up in line for the vaccine. We actually did it for Dr. Fauci, and I actually did it for Anderson as well. So I want to I show this. Uh, I think people should see. Uh, for Anderson, 53-year-old, they call you what? normal person. Nor- well, well, that, well, first of all, then, I mean, all bets are out. This thing is not accurate. If, I, if they're calling me a normal person, I'm far from that. But wow, I'm, I, wait. I'm in line behind 268.7 million people across the United States. I'm behind 16 million others in New York. Fair Look, enough. I, th- I think it speaks to your, to your tremendous health and your, your unlikeliness to, of getting ill. So wow. we're, we're rooting for you. I think I'm like the last in line. But you know what? That's okay. That's okay. I will wait my turn. And, you know, I'll give you more my turn, people Anderson. ahead of me. So that's I, I, 268 million ahead of me. <laughs> seems like, how many people are in the United States? I thought there were like 200 million. Wow. 350. So there's a few. Oh, few. All right. <laughs> all right. I'm not up all the way at the end. Uh, well, Sanjay, thanks for that. Um, Dr. Lena Wen, thank you, as always, for, for answering every, every your questions as well. And Sanjay, uh, well, yeah. Let me, let me show you something okay. before we go as well. There's one more thing. I, we always want to make sure we can tell people how they can help. Uh, for more information, go to CNN.com slash impact. Uh, our Impact Your World team put all this together. It's an interactive guide of resources at CNN.com slash coronavirus. Please help there. There's a list of organizations, resources, ideas for where you can donate and hopefully find help for yourself or a loved one. Sanjay, thank you. As always, it's great to, uh, to see you again. We hope tonight we have helped with some answers to your questions about the pandemic. I want to give a special thanks to Dr. Anthony Fauci, of course, for joining us, answering questions about the vaccines. Also to uh, Susan Froelich and her husband, Dr. Thomas Froelich and Dr. Lena Wen. And thanks to those of you who wrote in with your questions, the videos, everyone who joined us tonight. If you didn't get your questions answered tonight, conversation continues at CNN.com slash coronavirus answers. And that concludes this episode of CNN Town Halls and Debates, your direct source to the people shaping your world. To make sure you're always a part of the conversation, subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. For even more updates, follow us on Twitter at CNN Podcasts. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. 
And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.